Welcome back to the Oyut Shnei Mikra series and our study of Parshat Vayakhel. This is Menachem Liptag. And in today's show we study Rishon, the first Aliyah, beginning with Shmot Perak Lamed Hay, chapter 35. Our Aliyah begins in a special gathering that Moshe Rabbeinu convenes to command the people in regard to the laws of the Mishkan and concludes when that gathering is dispersed and the people begin their work. Even though the primary purpose of this gathering is to command the people in regard to the Mishkan, the first commandment that Moshe Rabbeinu informs the people is in regard to the laws of Shabbat. Therefore, in the first part of our shir today, we'll have to discuss why is it that Moshe Rabbeinu prefaces the laws of the Mishkan with a reminder in regard to the laws of Shabbat. And in the second part of the shir, we'll discuss the order in which Moshe Rabbeinu makes this command to build the Mishkan. As we study this aliyah and the rest of Parshat Vayakel Pekudai, I'd like to note two different approaches which we're going to employ to try to understand these events. One I refer to as outline, the other as timeline. Let me explain what I mean. When we study outline, we're paying attention to the progression of topic from one parshia to the next as we study Chumash. For example, in the study of outline, we'll ask the question, why does Moshe Rabbeinu command the people first to make the tent, the oil, and later to construct the kelim, the different vessels of the Mishkan? What is the meaning of the order as we progress from one parshia to the next? When we study timeline, we're going to take into consideration what's happening in the history of Am Yisrael and try to project to ourselves what the people understood in a gathering such as this. To understand the first set of psukim in Parsha Vayakel, let's relate to the timeline and project to ourselves what are B'nai Israel thinking at this time. Recall that four months earlier, the entire nation had gathered together and entered a covenant with God at Har Sinai and received the famous Ten Commandments and the laws of Parsha Mishpatim. In the meantime, Moshe Rabbeinu went up to get the first Luchot and additional laws. But when Moshe Rabbeinu was in Har Sinai, the people transgressed with the famous sin of the golden calf. Moshe Rabbeinu came down, that covenant was broken, renegotiated. Moshe Rabbeinu goes up again to get the second Luchot, which included God's attributes of mercy. And now when he comes down, and the people have been anticipating his return, Moshe gathers the people together to inform them about the new nature of the relationship with God. When we take into consideration that the last several months, the main thing on the people's mind was their terrible sin with the golden calf, and is God indeed going to forgive them? That will help us appreciate the manner and the detail in which Chumash records the story of how Moshe commands these laws to B'nai Israel. As we're going to see, by the time Vayikam Kudah is over, the result of this construction of the Mishkan will be that God's Shekhinah, God's divine presence, will dwell on this Mishkan, which will be a symbol that the relationship between God and His people has been corrected. But there's also a need, in order for God's Shekhinah to return, that the entire nation be involved in this process of building the Mishkan. Therefore, the opening word that Chumash uses to describe this special gathering is by Yakel Moshe at Kaldat B'nai Yisrael. Moshe gathers together the entire nation of Israel, and that reminds us of a very similar gathering that happened in the opening line back in chapter 32 in the story of Chet Egel, where there it said, by Kahel Ha'am al Aaron, when the entire nation gathered against Aaron and demanded, where they demanded from Aaron to do something because Moshe had gone and that led to the entire incident of Chet Egel. Now Moshe gathers the people together and we're going to fix what was wrong at that time. Back in that gathering, Aaron had asked for the gold and that gold was brought and melted down and the Egel was made. Now Moshe Rabbeinu is going to gather the nation together again ask for the gold and silver and copper and many other materials, the difference will be that this time, this symbol of God will be built in the proper manner 
And one of the main things that Moshe has to teach the people is how to follow instructions properly. This explanation follows Rashi's approach that the commandment to build a Mishkan was given after the sin of Chet even though it's recorded out of its chronological order in Parshot Truma and Tetzaveh, but even if we follow Ramban's approach that Chumash is in chronological order and that the commandment to build a Mishkan was first given to Moshe before the events of Chet nonetheless, we can definitely understand the manner in which he gives over these laws. And the way the Torah describes these laws certainly relates to the events of Chet that happened in the interim. So again, let's keep in mind that Moshe is gathering the people together in order to tell them, here's what you need to do as a collective group to bring God's Shekhinah back in your midst and to show them that you're worthy to continue your journey and become His nation in the land of Israel. With this in mind, let's pay attention to the first things that Moshe tells the people. Pasuk Aleph, Vayakel Moshe Yisrael Moshe Rabbeinu gathers together the entire nation of Israel and tells them, These are the things that Hashem has commanded for you to make them. Now, this phrase, these are the things, must be referring to the laws of the Mishkan, as we'll see in the continuation. But before he explains what is referring to, he makes a parenthetical comment about the laws of Shabbat. Let's read them now in Pasuk Bet. Sheshit yamim te'asem Six days you were permitted to do any type of work. But on the seventh day, Yelechem Kodesh, Shabbat Shabbaton Adonai, that day will be special and separated for you. A day of rest for God. Anyone who does work on the seventh day must be put to death. You cannot ignite or kindle fire anywhere you live on the Sabbath day. We'll return to these Pesukim about Shabbat in a minute, but pay attention how the Aliyah continues. In Pasuk Dalet, Moshe Moshe continues speaking to this congregation saying, This is the thing that God has commanded you to do, saying, Give a donation to God. Anyone whose heart moves him to bring this donation, He should bring this contribution to God. Zahav v'chesef v'nechoshet, gold, silver, and copper, and the list will continue, as we'll see in the next set of Psukim. Let's go back now and try to explain why this mention of Shabbat is something parenthetical and not the commandment and the purpose of this gathering. Recall in the opening Pasuk, Moshe told the people, these are the things that Hashem is commanding you to do them. In other words, this is a commandment to do something. The laws of Shabbat is a commandment not to do something. When Moshe Rabbeinu mentions Shabbat, the main point he's making is that it is not permitted to do work on the seventh day. Even though you're about to undertake work on the Mishkan, it's a reminder before you undertake this project, remember that you can only work six days a week, and on the seventh day, no work is permitted, even though you're making a project on behalf of God. Nonetheless, it's not permitted on the Sabbath day. Then he brings an example of what type of work is forbidden, you're not allowed to kindle or ignite a fire on the Sabbath day. Now, this parenthetical mention of Shabbat can be understood at several levels. At the simplest level, like we explained, it's here for a very technical reason. Because the primary commandment that Moshe is going to tell the people and the purpose of this gathering is to build a Mishkan, people might think that the only type of work that's forbidden on the Sabbath day is work for a person's own needs. But if work is being done on behalf of God Himself, one might think that it would be permitted to work on the Mishkan on Shabbat. After all, we're working for God, and Shabbat is about our relationship with God. Therefore, Moshe has to tell them, 
don't think that that would be permitted. Rather, work on this construction project. On behalf of God, is permitted only for six days a week, but on the seventh day, it's forbidden. One could also suggest a more detailed halachic reason for the mention of Shabbat at this time, because it could be that the people are very well aware that work on the Sabbath day is forbidden. The laws of Shabbat are nothing new to the people. In this gathering, they hear for the first time about the laws of the Mishkan, but they heard about Shabbat already before Mount Sinai, when they received the laws of the Man and Rufidim. They also heard Shabbat in the Ten Commandments. They also heard about Shabbat in Parshat Mishpatim, in chapter 23, verses 10, 11, and 12. And therefore, the people are very familiar with Shabbat. It could be that the main Chiddush, the main point that Moshe Rabbeinu is telling the people now, is specifically Pasa Gimel of Lot Tavaru Eish Shabbat, about the laws of kindling a fire. And as Rashbam and Eben Ezra and all the Pshat commentators point out immediately, there's a good reason why the people would think that making a fire on the Sabbath day would be permitted. Recall that about a half year earlier, when Amisar came out of Egypt, back in chapter 12, verse 16, in the laws of the first and last day of Chagam there the people were commanded, on the first day and the seventh day should be a day of special gathering. All work cannot be done on these two days, on the first and seventh day of Chagam However, anything necessary to make food on that day, that is permitted for you. Let's pay attention once again to timeline. The people of Israel heard about the laws of Shabbat in Rufidim. They heard about the laws of Shabbat also in Harsina in the Ten Commandments in Parshat Mishpatim. But there, there was a very general commandment about no work can be done without getting into any specifics. However, there was also a law about forbidding work on the first and seventh day of Chagamatzot. There we were told that even though all work is forbidden, it was permitted to make food on those gathering days of Chagamatzot. One might have thought that this same law would apply to the Sabbath day as well. Because the people had a very good reason to think that making fire would be permitted because it's permitted to prepare food on a Sabbath day, just like it was on the first and seventh day of Chagamatzot. Now Moshe has to tell the people that would be a misunderstanding of Shabbat. Even though it's permitted to make food and hence use a fire in order to make food on Yom Tov, on the first and seventh day of Chagam Atzot, on the Mikra Kodesh, that law does not apply to the Sabbath day, to the regular Yom HaShabbat. Therefore, the main point that Moshe is telling them at this time is to let them know that the laws of Havara apply to the Sabbath day in a very different manner to how they apply on Yom Tov. For more detailed explanation of this, see Eben Ezra Rashbam, in Ramban. One could suggest a third reason why Moshe Rabbeinu mentioned Shabbat in his preface to the laws of the Mishkan, and that happens if we relate this time to outline instead of timeline. Recall in our study of Truma Titzav and Kitisa, when Moshe Rabbeinu first received this commandment from God on Har Sinai, we had the entire commandment to build a Mishkan that went all the way from chapter 25 till the end of chapter 31, and even though that entire section was all about the laws of the Mishkan, at the very end of those laws of the Mishkan, in chapter 31, in Perak Laban Allah, Pasuk Yibet, the final commandment in the series of laws about the Mishkan is a reminder to Moshe Rabbeinu to tell the people, Ach et Shabtotai even though I've commanded you to build this Mishkan, nonetheless, you must keep the laws of Shabbat because Shabbat is an oath between me and you that I am the God who sanctified you. Because the last commandment that Moshe Rabbeinu received in regard to the Mishkan was a reminder from God to remind the people that the Shabbat must be kept as a reminder of the covenant at Har Sinai. 
Following that command from God, Moshe prefaces his commandment to the people about building the Mishkan. The first thing he tells them is, before we get into the details of what you need to bring, one reminder, even though you're about to undertake the construction of the Mishkan, you should be reminded that the laws of Shabbat still apply, but not only for a technical reason, but also for a very important thematic reason, because there's a very important thematic similarity between Shabbat and the Mishkan. By making the seventh day special and giving it a special status of Kedusha, this is supposed to remind us of our special connection to God in the realm of time. One day is separated from the seven days of the week and given a special status so that we remember God on that day, but by remembering God on the Sabbath day, that enables us to bring godliness to the rest of the week. In the same way, we're separating now a special place. We call this Kedushat Makom. We're dedicating a special area and dedicating that Mishkan, that place to God, His presence will be felt at an elevated level in this Mishkan, but the purpose of the separation of the Mishkan from other places is in order that that intense Kedusha, that intense connection to God in the Mishkan, can emanate from that Mishkan to the area of the Machanet, to the camp of Israel that surrounds it. So again, it's not just a technicality that Shabbat is mentioned here, in order that people don't do work, but rather to show the thematic connection between keeping Shabbat and building a Mishkan to God, the idea of Kedusha, Kedushat Zman, and Kedushat Makom, Kedusha in the realm of time, in the realm of space, to enhance our understanding and our appreciation of Kedushat Adam, the sanctification of man, where God elevates and sanctifies the people of Israel from the other nations in order to bring godliness at a higher level to them so they can emanate from Am Yisrael to the other nations as well. I'd like to suggest one final thematic reason why the laws of Shabbat form a preface to the laws of the Mishkan, once again relating to the sin beforehand of Chet Egel, of the sin of the golden calf. Recall that according to the commentaries of Ebenezra and Ramban, and Rabbi Yudha Levi and Sefer Kusari, the people's intentions in the beginning were very good. Their desire for a physical manifestation of the God who took them out of Egypt and some symbol to represent that God stemmed from a spiritual need of connection to God. That overzealousness and their desire to connect to God may have led to a misunderstanding of how to serve Him, which ultimately led to this idol worship of the golden calf itself, where the symbol of God's presence became a God itself. And now when God commands the people to build Him a Mishkan, one of the overriding themes which we're going to see repeated over and over again is this concept of Ashir Tziva Shemet Moshe. If you look through the entire section of Parsha Ve'akom Kudai, one of the phrases repeated continuously, especially in the last chapter, is Kasher Tziva Shemet Moshe. This emphasis on precisely as God had commanded Moshe, it's okay to make a symbol of God's presence, but only the way God tells you to do it. This idea that we have to sort of limit our zealousness and desire to serve God in many different ways, this could be reflected in the law about keeping Shabbat, even though your intention is to do something for God, God says every seventh day, no work can be done. The idea that the person, despite his desire to connect to God, has to follow rules and has limitations and has to follow guidelines, that's going to be one of the safeguards that will prevent good intentions, as had begun with Aaron in the story of Chet Egel, from getting out of hand part of the rehabilitation of Am Yisrael, to make sure that they channel their desires in the proper direction and follow the proper guidelines, begins with this halachic system of having a set of rules and following it meticulously. It could be that this preface of the laws of Shabbat relates to this concept as well. We'll conclude our share now by returning to the format of outline following the flow of topic within Parshat Bayakel. And notice this commandment that Moshe tells the people 
in regard to building the Mishkan is going to begin with a request for the materials that are needed for its construction, followed by a request for the artisans and the people who are capable of donating their time and their abilities to construct the Mishkan, followed by a list of items which need to be built in order to complete its construction. So let's re- return now to Pasuk Dalad and go quickly through these different items, noting that they've already been described in Parsha Truman Tetzaveh. So if you study Truman Tetzaveh, there's no need to repeat what each item is. And again, the detail of these items will be explained in the continuation of Akab Kudai, as we'll see in the Shurim in the days to come. So let's pick up now again with Pasuk Dalad. Moshe goes again to the congregation and tells them, this is what God has commanded you, saying, now let's get to the items. They should bring gold, silver, and copper. There's a question in regard to how proper it was to donate silver, because silver had to be given half a shekel per person, and a rich person could not give extra, and a poor person could not give less. This we'll discuss in our study of Pasha Pekudeh. Also, you can see a very interesting Eben Ezra on this topic in the beginning of Parshat Truma. The different types of materials and threads, the blue wool, the purple wool, the silk, the linen, and the goat skins. And the keshia wood, which was the main building material for most of the Mishkan, oil for lighting the menorah, the different spices, for the anointing oil, the Victor Tasamim, and for the incense. Avnei Shoham, the Shoham stones, for the Ephod, Vavnei Miluim, the filling in stones for the Choshen, therefore Avnei Shoham, Vavnei Miluim, Lephod, Velachoshen. So these are the materials that Moshe Rabbeinu requests that the people donate. And now, Anyone with a wise heart, in other words, anyone with the abilities to make these different items, they're requested now to come and do and make all these things that God has commanded. And here's the list, beginning with the tent, followed by the vessels inside. Pasuk Aleph, et mishkan et olovet michseu, the material, the different blankets that covered the mishkan, the lower one and the higher one and the top cover. Et krasav et krashav, the claps that connected the different parts of the blankets together and the poles that held up these covers. Et brichav et amudav et adanav, also the poles that kept the Mishkan stable, the different poles and the sockets that held them up, et haron bet padav et kaporet, now the vessels, the et porochet hamasach, and also the porochet that divided between the Kodesh and Kodesh Kodeshim, bet hashulchan bet padav et kelav, the table, the shulchan, and its poles, bet lechem apanim, the lechem apanim itself, that was on the shulchan, bet menorat hamor bet kelav et nerotel, and the nerot that went on top of the menorah, which they put the oil and the wicks inside, Vet Shemen Hamor and the oil which was used to light these Nerot of the menorah. Pasek Tetvav, Vet Mizbachach Toret Vet Padav, the incense altar and its poles as well. Vet Shemen Hamishcha, the anointing oil which was necessary for all these different vessels. Vet Torat Hasamim and the incense that was burnt on the Mizbachach Toret. Vet Masach HaPetach LePetach HaMishkan and also the drape that covered the entrance to the Mishkan. Tet Zayin, now we leave the Mishkan itself and its vessels that were indoors we go to the outside courtyard and its different vessels, beginning with the main vessel of the courtyard, the Mizbacha Ola, on which all the offerings were brought. At Mizbacha Ola, Bet Mikhbar Nechoshet Asherlo, the Mizbacha Ola, it itself was made out of copper, and the rim of copper called the Mikhbar Nechoshet that surrounded it. The Ed Badav Bet Kokelav, and the poles used to carry it in all of its utensils. 
at takior vetkano, the laver, which was used by the Kohanim to wash their hands, and the stand that held it up. As many commentators note, there's no mention of poles for the kior. The status of the kior, the laver, was a little bit less because no actual avodah was done on the kior. Korbanot were brought on the Mizbeach. We lit the menorah. There was a showbread, lechem apanim, on the shulchan, and ktoret, on the mizmach ktoret. But the kior was a bit different because no avodah, no service was done on it, but rather it was used to wash the hands. Therefore, its kdushah might have been a little bit of a lower status. It did not require poles to carry it. Some commentators raise the question, how was it carried? Some even bring up the possibility that the wagons that the princes donated later on were used to carry the kior. Pasik tetzayin, et kaleha chatzer et amudah Now we talk about the mechitza, the partition that separated the chatzer of the mishkan from the outside machaneh, in verse 17, et kaleha chatzer, these curtains of the chatzer, et amudah bet adoneha, the poles and the sockets that held the poles up, that masach shar chatzer, that formed the entrance and the gate to the courtyard area. Vet mishkan, vet chatzer, vet the pegs that were used for both the mishkan and the chatzer to hold up the poles and the cords or the strings they connected between the pegs and the poles. Et bigdrei hasrad, the sharet b'kodesh, there is an argument in regard to what bigdei hasrad are referring to, or these Bidei Hasra, the Sharet Kodesh, an introduction to what follows in the Pasuk. And these two include the Bidei HaKodesh Aron HaKohen, the clothing of the Kohen Gadol of Aron, the eight garments of the high priest, the Bidei HaBanav LaChahen, and the four garments of the regular priests, or are Bidei Hasra referring to the special coverings that were used to cover all the different vessels? As we hear about them in the book of Amidbar, when they would travel with the, with the Mishkan, they would take a special Beged, and use it to cover the Aron and the Shulchan and the Menorah. And when the Levim would carry these different vessels, they would be covered by these Big Hasrad. So is this commandment referring to those covers whose purpose is more peripheral, or are they referring to the actual Big Kuna, the actual clothing of the priests themselves, which would be a higher level? That you can see the argument among the commentators as they discuss the meaning of this Pasuk. But this concludes the list of all the different items that need to be made and constructed to make the Mishkan complete. After giving this message to the people and asking for these donations, Pasachav tells us, verse 20, The entire congregation of Israel left this meeting with Moshe Rabbeinu, as we'll see in tomorrow's Aliyah, when we study Sheni, the second Aliyah, we'll see how successful Moshe's request was and how the people answer in a very positive manner and bring all these items, even more than enough, to build the Mishkan.